Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Ahoy, this is Thomas Foss, and welcome to Countercharge. And I'm Ralph Enough, and if you remember that voice, then you have a very good memory because it's been over two years since we had Thomas on. Welcome to the show, Thomas. Thank you so much, Rob. Yeah, geez, two years. That's crazy. Every once in a while, we do these episodes with people that we've had on before. Unlike Kawei, he I think he's on every three months. But everybody <laughs> else, it's like a two or three year gap. So we're really glad to have you back on the show. Yeah, let's make this uh, happen more often. Absolutely. Kawei can't have all the all the, the feed time. He's pretty popular. I, I, won't, I won't lie. He's pretty popular with the fans. Uh, he's a passionate guy. But I, I've talked to you before, too, and I know you're pretty passionate as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was actually talking to Kawi this morning. So <laughs> before we get into the show proper, how's the video game business? I know that's your, your day job. Exactly. I'm a lead designer at Cryptic Studios on uh, Neverwinter. And uh, it's great. I, I love my job. Uh, we came out with an expansion this year. So we uh, expanded uh, the player base so they can go from 70 to 80. And we did it all in Undermountain. I don't know how big of a Dungeons and Dragons fan you are. But Undermountain is the largest dungeon in Theyrune, in all of Toro. It's the, the, and it's uh, owned by a mad mage, uh, who's probably the most powerful wizard in all of Neverwinter. So it's uh, really fun, good stuff. And uh, the stuff we're working on right now, I, boy, man, I'd love to give teasers, but I can't. Uh, but I'm, su- I'm super excited with uh, some of the new content that we're going to be releasing soon. Talk to several people that work in the video game industry, and there's something about, I guess, the creative endeavor, whether that's video games or tabletop games that there's a lot of similarity there oh absolutely actually uh quite a few people at our company um are started in the pen and paper world and still do some pen and paper stuff as well um at cryptic we have a game room that at any given lunchtime you'll see a dozen magic the gathering games going on because we actually are uh, building a, a magic game called magic ascension uh, mmo which is really exciting will be out next year and uh, and then I'll have my I've, I've got kind of my dibs on one of the four by six tables and I'm running games right now. I actually have a World War Two game I'm doing. And then we have a big Star Wars game on the other end and a couple of big board games going on. And so uh, the tabletop world is uh, huge and alive in in the, uh, the video game industry. I have seen lots of posts from you all over the Facebook. You are an old grognard at heart. What games are you playing currently? Currently, I actually uh, so we just got done with uh, Kublai Khan Game Convention, which interestingly enough, I think happened. Uh, the last couple of years we, we talked and I ran a couple of games there um, uh, the first game I ran was my Wars of Imaginations which is uh, done with my wooden toy soldiers uh, from uh, based around like the wars of Spanish succession so you know big frock coats giant cuffs tricorns that kind of thing but I make up but I make up the units so they come from you know uh, Fossenheim and and Persephone Vald and all these kind of places. So that way you can paint the uniforms however you want. Anyway, did a big tabletop game for that, which was uh, really fun and gangbusters. And then the other, uh, the passion, because I don't always just play the games I design, but I love uh, finding other cool games that other people are doing. And one of the ones that I've been really jazzed about lately is a game called Mad Maximilian 1934 by Mana Press. Um, and uh, it's basically Mad Max in the 30s. And it's a racy, shooty kind of game. And that aesthetic just really just 
sparked to me. So I've been, uh, over the last year, collecting old die-cast cars from the 20s and 30s kind of style and then uh and then kit bashing them and you know putting machine guns on them a couple of them i turned into like i've got one that looks like speed racer's car and one that looks like racer x's car from like the 30s i got one that's done like mad max's car but i've got tin tin in it instead anyway <laughs> so I, so so i built all these cars and then i built a big wasteland racetrack um i do my um my tabletop stuff is usually uh, a painted canvas that i use for my ground mat Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then in this case, it looked like kind of Arizona wasteland. So oh, lots of, you know, foam and you know, pink foam made into uh, mountains and whatnot. And, uh, so I made a, a dedicated racetrack with that and it's got craters and things. And it was, it was, it was just gangbusters. It's a blast. It's a fun game. It's easy to teach. It's really fun to play. And, uh, I ended up, uh, playing it once officially and then ran it another time at night with a bunch of people that wanted to hang out and just uh, and friends and kind of have grudge matches and just have fun. Absolutely. How does it compare to like say Gaslands? If you've played that one before, uh, I have played Gaslands. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, the cars are bigger, so they're easier to okay. paint for. That's me. awesome. <laughs> Although I do have a bunch of Hot Wheels cars here too. Uh, but um, I, it's I, I think the system's a little bit easier. Uh, to go into it's not it's not as um as as a designer speaking as a designer they don't give you as big a box to play in so in terms of you know what you can do to your vehicle and turns and stuff like that but um but because of that they're able to simplify the rules to make them feel like you're actually driving a 1930s car like they slide out a lot you can you know throw a piston and you know things like this that could happen in an older style car uh but but it's got fast action i think gaslands is more has more of that real full-on Mad Max or, oh gosh, um, what was the name of the GW boxed racy kit that they did in the 80s? Dark Future. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think Gaston says more of a Dark Future meets uh, the, the modern Mad Max kind of feel. Also a fun game, and but I, uh, I don't have that many cars converted for it yet. You know, that, that 30s time period is one of my favorites, and one of my all-time favorite games is Crimson Skies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I used to love playing, you know, the the, the alternate pre World War II history, and you got the yeah. being able to design your own ship. So that that's uh that's a lot of fun. Totally, totally. That that the Crimson Skies is gorgeous, good aesthetic designs, right? And that's kind of one of the the fun things that I'm having with this as a a hobbyist and game designer is kind of scratch building these cool cars, and each car has a story that it tells, you know, just just visually. Yeah. Any other games jumping out at you? Well, I am very excited, of course, at the uh, Kings of War 3rd Edition rules that are coming out. So what specifically has got you, you know, eager to get back into this? As a designer of Undead, <laughs> uh, if anybody caught Kyle's um, uh, stream and video when he was giving all the, all the teasers on all the Undead and the zombie rule, right? So cool. Absolutely. The zombie rule, um, you know, we, earlier before the podcast, we were talking about uh, yielding and mighty as being different classes, right? I can, I'm can, i already like visualizing how I'm going to put my armies together um, with, you know, uh, and you can buy different heroes now. So you can buy several, especially like if you're running undead. With my four horsemen that I have now, I can have each one of them as a separate officer with a different aura around them and adding things to the units. I'm just, you know, it's like in the mind, I'm just like putting together, like, how's this army going to play? How can I make it happen? What aesthetics can I build? Uh, in it that that both you know because uh, uh, honestly a lot of game times probably like most people um, when I'm playing an army uh, it's not to win so much as to show off my toys <laughs> so like what 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 cool ways can I put this together you know now zombie pikemen make uh, you know the horde with an aura you know put mighty uh, a mighty officer with an aura on that 
Yeah, and then with yielding, the fact that you can pass through your own troops, that's awesome because, like, you know, you put your crossbow units, your missile units, which are there to kind of, you know, whittle things down but not be the, the, the be-all and end-all. And then you have your, you know, your cavalry or whatever charge through them because you can move through your own troops now. So there's some really interesting uh, tactical uh, challenges that, I, that I'm, uh, I'm really keen on with the New Kings of War. I think they've done a good job from the little I've seen of, you know, I think they've used the tagline evolution not revolution i mean it is more of the same but they found interesting ways to tweak what we think we already know yeah i think so uh you know and sometimes it speaking again as a game designer uh sometimes it takes three revs to figure all that stuff out there's certainly the opinion out there that the first rev is just getting it out second a rev they, they can't you kind of get 80 percent of the way there and it's that third revision that's where you really this is the definitive game warhammer third edition right I mean, you went through the first one, and it was just kind of a straight-up a brawling scramble and skirmish game. Second edition is when they started coming up with army lists and, and kind of standardized it, but there were still a lot of crazy things that you could do. And then once third edition came around, that was actually when you started playing tournaments with it, and they kind of standardized the rules where you could do that. And I'm also looking forward to new armies. I mean, they're going to mm-hmm. be up to 26 armies now. In Northern Alliance, sounds like a really fun army with the, uh, the random charge distance. Oh, right. Wild charge, I think is what it's called. They've done it right. They've released just enough information to whet everybody's appetite, and we're building up this crescendo to uh, October, whatever it is, that they ship. Right, yeah, yeah, that's right, for the first book, right? It's like two books coming out? Yeah, so the second book will be first week of December, Army of, Armies of Panathor, and that'll have all the, I'm air-quoting, n- non-Mantic armies. A lot of companies wouldn't take the time to do that second book, and so I'm glad that you know Mantic is uh, sticking with it and saying, look, we know that you may have a Skaven army. Or a Renaissance undead army. The undead, though. Your undead actually are in the main rule book, but yes. I know. That, they're spot on, yeah. But, for example, if you wanted to run those as Kingdoms of Men. Absolutely. You totally could. That would be in the in the second book. And that's the cool thing about Kings of War is that the theme is yours. Mantic released a video today where Elvis, the customer service rep, basically said he's doing a Brotherhood army, but he's using all undead models. So he has an undead mounted Brotherhood army. That's just a neat theme, right? I mean, he's able to use existing models that, is, that Mantic makes but he's able to put it in a theme that we we didn't see coming. And and as you said, at the end of the day, my goal in life is just to paint stuff up. Kawe go, "Oh my gosh, this is I can't do his accent, but you know, he gets he gets very excited when you show him pictures." Oh, Rob, that's so oh, so good. <laughs> On my painting table right now, I actually have some of Kawe's goat riders. His half goat riders, which I having, which I'm basing up for Kings of War. So I, they're so cool. The, my favorite is still I, I'm I haven't finished them yet, but the the winged hussar, you know, mm. the the lancers on goats. I mean, there's yep. it's just yep. it's so silly of a concept, but yet why didn't anybody else come think of that? I mean, that I is genius. We could talk about Kings of War all day, but we've got some more important stuff to talk about, which is obviously uh, you and Skull and Crown and, and an upcoming Kickstarter. Thomas, why don't you start us off with a little bit of a, a little walk down memory lane? Who is Skull and Crown? Uh, Skull and Crown is basically me. That's my uh, that's my little store, my little uh, my little business, and um, I've been running it now for about six years. Uh, it started off with uh, my very first Kickstarter with my wooden war stuff, and that was uh, me uh, doing a Kickstarter to get a laser cutter so I can make wooden toy soldiers so that I could play with my son, uh, and and so everybody else could play wooden soldiers with their kids too. And I, so I wrote a set of rules for it and uh, and had a really successful Kickstarter and then uh, kind of just kept launching the company from there. Um, I had done – I've been in other companies, uh, tabletop companies. Uh, previously, I had uh, had other partners and we had flagship games. 
and put out games like Pirates and Tycho and Rampant Colonialism and Habit Hawk Habit, lots of uh, lots of cool games. Uh, and then pre- before that, I was in Seventh uh, Street Games, and that was uh, basically us, my my college friends and I, starting our first game business. And we wrote uh, Mecha, which was a um, a three D uh, tabletop um, anime style mech fighting game. Which then we also built um, Spirit Warrior Empire, uh, which was Aztec mechs, and that's when I uh, really started getting into my sculpting skills, uh, designing um, Aztec mechs and molding them and casting them and stuff. That was a, a niche of a niche market, but still some pretty fun and cool stuff. So yeah, so yeah, so and now Skull and Crown today. I mean, uh, you know, I've got my my web store, which actually is currently down because they. Uh, uh, they've changed the updates on, or rather, they updated the web store. Uh, I did try, I don't know. My web guru can tell you about it. But anyway, it's broken right now, and we're fixing it. Uh, but um, uh, since Woodmore's, I've done uh, two other Kickstarters. Uh, I did um, the first Triumph of Death Kickstarter a couple of years ago when we talked about that, and uh, that one did gangbusters, and it was just really exciting working with everybody and and seeing how excited. Uh, people would be about uh the same thing i was passionate about which was kind of bringing the that old minifigs valley of the four winds style lawns connect renaissance figures uh back to life and kind of you know giving still in an old hammer kind of vibe but uh but a more modern take on those miniatures and uh i was just super blown away and happy and on the response and uh and just being able to get you know so many cool stretch uh, stretch goals out there and get everything get all the miniatures out to the players and and collectors but we but we knew that we couldn't do everything and i think even in our last podcast we talked about like oh here's the list of things that we still wanted to do to to be able to create new armies and with my upcoming kickstarter uh we're going to be able to do all those things so again super excited and that's the kind of stuff that like you were talking about on facebook i've been kind of teasing out a little bit uh, la- uh last couple of nights i've been up late at night uh, drawing cannon barrels for my sculptor Drew Day Williams of Satter uh, Satter Studios, and uh, because he's like, I need the barrel for the gun so we can build the crew and yada yada, which is uh, yeah, exciting. <laughs> it's been a little while since you've been on, but do you find yourself getting away from the wooden stuff, laser cut stuff, or I mean, are you, you still both things floating? I'm I'm still doing both. I'm uh, my my friends call me a, a squirrel on crack. I can't not stop you know, playing with the next shiny thing. Actually, uh, I think since we last, we talked, I've actually published uh galley's guns and glory. So I did an entire line of Renaissance laser cut, uh, uh, six millimeter or one, 300 scale ships and rules for that. Uh, and, uh, and sell those on my store. Um, I am, uh, still currently working on my breaking lances rules. And this is one of those things where, um, I, again, I've been developing it for about a year and a half, two years. It's it's a jousting game with a 54 millimeter style. <laughs> I'm holding it my hands like I'm showing you the figures. Uh, <laughs> uh, 54 millimeter um, uh, medieval style knights that you're using in a jousting game. Uh, and I've been, it, it's one of those games kind of going back to the, um, you know, you launch the rules once, twice, three times. I, I've been kind of soft launching my rules for breaking lances over the last couple of years and changing them by playing them at conventions, sending out beta test rules for players to play and give me feedback. Um, it's one of those things that it's kind of done and in the can, but until like everything, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, um, a reasoned timeline, like a, a deadline that I have to send it out. So I'm like waiting for like the right moment when everything's all together and right. And so that'll go out probably as my next Kickstarter. Uh, and then, and then in between, Rob, uh, I, I did another Kickstarter called Killer Rabbits. 
the most amazing Kickstarter you've ever done. So the fun story of how that came to pass, I was actually heading up to Drew, uh, my sculptor Drew Williams' uh, studio in San Francisco. I live in San Jose, which for thems out there in Radioland is about 50 miles south of San Francisco. Uh, and, um, I went up there to Drew's house and, uh, to show him some sketches and start talking over the triumph of death Two stuff, which I was planning on releasing much earlier. And I walk in and Drew's got all these printouts of, uh, of medieval manuscripts. And in the manuscripts are these cool rabbits and all the rabbits in the marginalia, which is like the side, kind of the side stuff. Uh, they're doing crazy things like riding and jousting on snails or flaying monks alive or riding on dogs with hunting snails on their arms or just carrying swords and shields and fighting knights. And I'm like, like these, and I start to look at Drew. I'm like, dude, these are cool. What are you going to do with these? Cause Drew has always got clipboards and things of other commissions. He's doing of really neat stuff. Uh, and he goes, he goes, oh, man, those just need to be sculpted. Like, they just need to come alive. So I look at him, I'm like, well, you're the sculptor, so why don't you sculpt them? And he looks at me, and he's like, yeah, but then what do I do with them? So I said, let's do a Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, I figured it would do moderately well. Um, and it just went crazy. It was it was really fun, uh, and uh, and it was uh, uh, there were people buying it for Kings of War armies, right? You know, so they could have cool killer rabbit armies and forces out there. I had people from Oxford um, and uh, from the scribes guilds, like like literally legit scribes guilds in England, buying them because you know it's their it's their thing, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was just it was a really wonderful Kickstarter that reached out to a a much broader audience than, than one would have expected. I mean, those models are just so unique. I can't even imagine having a full army, like say forces of nature using those killer rabbits. Cause it would be comical and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> exactly. It'd be totally cool. I'm actually working on a unit right now of them, uh King's war unit. And, uh, I made a standard that's a blue, like a blue jacket, with the red buttons on it. So I call them the blue coats. Cause it's like Peter rabbit. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the jacket is their standard. Yeah. Like Peter's jacket. Technology has been changing a lot. Mm -hmm. How has that affected you? I mean, I know you're a big into laser cutting, but like what, what's been the big thing for you over the last few years? Good question. I mean, 3D printing is pretty awesome. Um, seeing a lot of resin casting coming out. I mean, I know that Kawe is a, bi a big proponent of resin casting stuff, but I'll tell you, there's nobody here in the States that does that kind of resin casting that I know of. We actually had a model sculpted and produced, and thanks to Kawe, because he really led us by the hand through the whole process. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, we had to go to the UK to get it done. <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay, yeah. all right. It's actually one of the things I've been talking to Kawe about. Like, dude, you need to do a resin casting business because we could go, we could just do some really cool stuff. So I think that that's cool. I think, uh, seeing, um, it's interesting. It's, I don't think it's the new tech that's been exciting me so much, Rob. It's actually been all the old school stuff and seeing like, um, if you look on the old hammer forums or on Facebook and the old hammer sculptors and stuff like that, seeing how many people are coming out and sculpting one, two, a dozen figures, right. And getting them cast and put out there with some just amazing character and amazing ideas and stories being told. I think that's the thing that's, that's really exciting me the most, you know, is, uh, people like, uh, Drew or, um, or, or Ratnik or any of those guys, uh, coming out and like, Oh, Hey, that's like the old rogue trader, 40 K robot. Totally want one of those, right? You know, because there's been a, a drawing in the book that you saw growing up. You're like, that's cool. Yeah. So that I think that's the thing that's actually been exciting me. It's it's uh, 
um, between Kickstarters and 3D printing and and just uh, people sculpting and getting stuff cast, it, it just reminds me of like the old punk rock days when anybody could put an album out. Has it affected your design process at all? Like all this new technology and stuff? No, because we're still pretty old school. I mean, you know, Drew sculpts in the old traditional way and and you got to sculpt for the molds. That being said, my, my caster, uh, Steve Phillips of Firing Line Miniatures, uh, he's been looking at all the new technologies of what kind of silicones and rubber and stuff to use for making the molds. And he's gone over to uh, to different kinds of silicones for making the master molds. And that's always the um, – making the master molds always that, that, that make or break moment because you're, you're putting your greens into that mm-hmm. thing and – you know, back in the olden days, there was easily uh, a twenty percent chance that that all the thing would just come out as slush, and you got none of your, you know, none of the masters would come back out, and they were ruined. It's funny how things have changed. I think that that has been uh, technology-wise, at least for me, one of the uh, the coolest things because I know that uh, we're much safer in terms of putting the masters into the molds these days and knowing that we're probably going to get a good casting out of it. Or if we don't, that it doesn't destroy the masters that we can make a new mold because that's money. You paid for the sculpt. And if it's destroyed, the only way to get one is to have it resculpted. And, and, and it's not, it's not just the destroyed or the money part. It's the fact that the sculptor has to go and resculpt it again. That's a lot of, that's a lot of energy and sweat and, well, and just, you know, and just artistry to make that happen. And sometimes they've captured lightning in a bottle and it might not be able to be replicated. Absolutely. And, you know, and be, speaking as someone who has worked in a jewelry store as a, an apprentice and has cast before and has lost pieces and had to redo them, it, it, it's it's hard. Sometimes, though, the, the piece that you make the next time is actually better than the one you did before, but but not always. And, and it's always it, it's always a challenge. So that I think that's the coolest thing that I've seen that and, you know, people using ZBrush and doing 3D printing, either 3D, you know, and then and then making one 3D print and then putting those in the molds and casting them. It's a lot of cool stuff. Well, I think the big thing is, you know, the, the cost of resin printers have come down to the point now where they're, you know, a lot of people have them in their homes and the fidelity you can get on these things is pretty remarkable, even for like a $300 machine, right? What I do is I kind of, I kind of Tom Sawyer that because I don't, uh, I don't have one of those machines yet. I'm going to wait for like another year when they get a little bit better and a little bit more stable. Uh, but right now what I do is I've got friends that have 3d printers and they want things laser cut. They need their bases. So I'm like, okay, how about you, you, you print me these things and I'll cut you those bases. Uh, same thing. Like I have, uh, you know, again, working at a video game studio. Oh, I have lots of cool artists on hand that want things made, you know, miniatures cast or other things. So, so I can trade them some ZBrush time, uh, for, uh, for my time for doing things. So I, and I love that barter system is a good thing to do. Are you ever going to bring production in house? You know, I'll do little, little pieces of things, some one-off uh, resin casts and stuff that I want to do for myself or my friends or for prototyping. But, uh, I, I, it'll just be too dangerous if I do it. Cause then I'll just get lost in that. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather just spend my time on the designs and making sure that the store is running and, and getting cool things things out to you know my customers i don't want to i'll let i'll leave the professional work to the professionals to come to casting and stuff like that well you got a deep catalog if you had to cut it all away and just leave one product what would it be yeah a couple years ago i would have said it would be my wooden soldiers but uh, you know it's always it's always the baby that you have now that you love so much and uh it'd probably be my um i'd probably be my tramp of death stuff 
especially since I'm expanding it so much because uh, it's just a cool, it's a just a cool cohesive thing that's happening, and I could play with them for quite a long time. And then, and that'd be for the catalog for selling to people, right? But to keep it, because I'd still keep my wooden soldiers for myself at home. But we got to figure out, you know, down the road, let's get this stuff in hard plastic. You know, I actually have talked about that uh, with a couple of people and looking at the molds. Uh, hard plastic molds are, are bank. So yeah, plastic would be cool. Uh, you definitely need to sculpt differently for plastic, right? Um, and and I've actually considered resin for these things, but let's face it, skeletons have spindly bits right they've got you know skeletal arms and legs they're not they're not dwarves uh and, and and as such i think the metal actually is the best way to go for them for right now so i know you're a big staple at a lot of the conventions up there what other conventions are you hitting these days uh kublacon pacificon um i actually did a big uh war game symposium in scotland uh with claymore castings uh a few months back that was really fun and i'm gunning for salute this year I've actually applied to run a game there, uh, but I don't think I heard back until October. And I'm going to run my big Wars of Imaginations game there, I think. Uh, although although how I'm going to carry that stuff over the pond, I have no idea. Well, actually, I think what I'm going to do is actually use, I have a, an old steamer trunk. I'm going to use that because that's totally old school. You're getting ready to start on the fourth Kickstarter. What would you tell yourself when you started that first Kickstarter, if you could? What the hell are you doing? They're Kickstarter's actually grown a lot in the last four years they have a lot more uh a lot more help a lot more statistics so kind of like kind of like their third edition they've actually kind of cleaned things up but back then man shipping was one of the things that everybody warned you about uh the postage cost and shipping but it still just bites you in the ass every time um especially for people overseas i hate having to charge so much money uh for people for that um turnaround times on how long it's going to take to do things the big on my first Kickstarter, the biggest problem was actually getting the laser cutter imported. And had I would have known that, I would have tried to. I, I now I have actually a company here in California that I work with, a uh, really great company called Light Object uh, for my machines. But man, I wish I would have done a little bit more diving in and found them sooner. That would have made things a lot easier. Uh, you know, just keep your spreadsheets clean. <laughs> there was no such thing as a backer kit back then, right? Uh, so. So you really had to keep your stuff, uh, all your ducks in a row. And that was a challenge. But again, as I, as I keep building uh, the Kickstarters and building up my clientele and you know, just all the backers, which are awesome, make sure that you're keeping enough money for postage, dummy. I think that's the biggest thing. Also true of my second Kickstarter and my third Kickstarter, you, uh, shipping is always a challenge. Do you do the shipping yourself or do you use a third-party logistics company? I do it myself. Hand packing, hand setting things up. Going through there. Yep. Put a little card in there. Hand packed by Thomas. <laughs> I usually do. I actually, I, almost every one I write a note on them, right? You know, about the things. Because one of the cool things, to me, one of the, one of the cool things other than, uh, than getting to make models is actually having the journey of what you're actually doing with the Kickstarter, right? There's, there's always a cool backstory to it. Again, the backstory of Killer Rabbits was Drew really had this passion of making these cool killer rabbits. And I looked at him and went, these are awesome. Let's do this. Right. So, and so we, that, that was the story. We should, we should get these out because we think people are going to like them. Triumph of death was that was, you know, those original minifig skeletons were my first love. And I wanted to, to share that love with everybody. And, and that dialogue of, of the backers also seeing the potential of that and, and being invested into that, that idea because that's what Kickstarter really is, to, at least still to me. You know, it's not just a marketing thing uh, like some people use it. To me, it's really about expanding those ideas. And when I, when I know when I back people on Kickstarter, 
and not all of them make it right. But the, but still the ideas in those dreams are really cool. That's what I like about Kickstarter. When you look at Kickstarter from a consumer, what are you seeing? Like, how has it changed your behavior as a as a purchaser of, you know, tabletop board games? Ah, good question. Um, I buy again. I mostly I look for the underdogs, right? Like, I don't I don't go into the big Reaper box sets, uh, mostly because I know everybody else around me has, and they're never going to get their stuff painted, and I'll get to paint one of their figures and then get a box of something that they're not going to paint. But um, uh, I really look for like the underdogs and the cool stories of things. Uh, that I buy into or sculptors that I just, I really adore. Uh, I, I think I mentioned it uh, before um, Ratnik uh, from a uh, lead adventure form, right? The Bruegelberg stuff and the um, Astropolis sculpts uh, are just really phenomenal. It's kind of like, um, oh gosh, how would you explain them? Kind of like Peter Bruegel meets Mobius. They're, they're kind of caricatured and cartoonish, you know, with these kind of big ham fisted hands, but they're just really lovely. Uh, I think that, um, I think that as a consumer, I see a lot of the market where people think it is a store and not a, and not angel investment into something that could happen. And that becomes a, a challenge, right? Uh, and you, so if something goes sour and things can go bad, I, you know, I've got Kickstarters that have been, uh, that I backed over a year and a half, almost two years on one of them. And they, they're having a lot of difficulties, you know, deaths in the family or, or, you know, uh, flooding, you know, <laughs> happens, right? Uh, you just, you know, you got to live with that. Those poor guys have to deal with what they're dealing with. And you know that uh, as a, as a backer, I don't want to necessarily stress them out. Like, Hey, where my, you know, where's my minis while you're trying to rebuild your house. But, um, but uh, a lot of big companies that, that went big with this stuff, it kind of put a different mentality where you get a lot of backers sometimes that, 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 that think it's kind of a customer's always right kind of attitude. And that's, that's always a challenge to kind of remind them of like, you know, they're there for the journey and kind of taking that along. Um, I also, it's, it's kind of weird sometimes when you, you see a, a Kickstarter happening and then you, you know, and you're like, yes, I'm totally want to back this and get it going. And then right after the back, the Kickstarter closes a week later, and maybe you've been, uh, this has happened to you too. Then they, they're also putting it on the market and they haven't even shipped your goods yet. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So my rule is I don't, if I'm going to put my stuff on my store, I don't put it on my store until a month after I've shipped everybody's stuff. Right. Cause that's, that's the, that's the goal of being a, a backer is kind of, you know, first to the table, you get bragging rights. And I want to make sure that all, everybody that backs for me, they get their bragging rights. Yeah. How, how has Kickstarter kind of evolved the way you do business? I mean, obviously you're, you're going more heavily into Kickstarter. This is your fourth one. Has it changed fundamentally the way you do business? No, I, it's definitely helpful, right? It is a marketing platform uh, because I can reach out to so many people at once. Um, and uh, the one thing that I learned from my very first Kickstarter was <laughs> because I actually, uh, people were hitting my uh, my stretch goals literally daily on my first Wooden Wars Kickstarter. So I had to come up with new stretch goals. And I was literally like, you know, every night sketching up a new design or a new idea. And uh the, the cool thing about that, I mean, the, the, the plus and minus of that is uh, normally when you're releasing a line of figures, you'll do, you know, 10 figures. And then every two to three months when you can afford it, you do it, you're releasing another, you know, pack of figures, a new design or something like that. But with Kickstarter, because of the way, because you have backers being able to, to support you in this, uh, you can kind of get 
like a year's worth of of a line of figures out all in the the stretch of you know the one month of a Kickstarter, and that's that's pretty cool. And that's kind of where I uh, that's how it's changed my business model, right? Is uh, is being able to kind of um, fast forward on on getting things out that would take normally a year to get out. I actually read a stat the other day. There are seven board games, tabletop games, funded every single day. I mean, obviously they're not all good, <laughs> right? I, I, they can't all be hits. But you, you know, yeah. where, where do you think you know you put your crystal ball in front of you? Where is this going? Well, I think uh, in in roughly short term, to put it in political sense, I think everybody that gets their stuff built in China is going to be up for a big surprise with tariffs coming down or other embargoes. And that's just terrifying, right? And that's not just the the indie Kickstarters, because I was actually, one of the things I was looking at was uh, doing a, a fantasy version of my Breaking Lances game as a box set and kind of a, uh, a quote-unquote cool mini or not style, you know, production, because uh, they do nice production work. Uh, but, uh, and I started looking into that and looking into, you know, having it overseas. But man, I'm, I'm terrified to actually try and commit to anything overseas right now, especially with our, you know, with our political environment as it is. Uh, and, and I fear for not only the Kickstarter people, but like the long-term game people, like, you know, all the Carcassonne games and stuff like that, those are all made probably in China. And that's going to really hit the, 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 the board game industry, like big time podcast I listen to called uh, Board Game Insider and it's two guys at Stronghold Games and Portal Games and the two owners have a show and they, and they talk about stuff like what you what you just mentioned and it's really interesting because it's board game industry from the inside it's hard to say where we're going to end up you know you know one of the things we've been really happy about is that Mantic decided no no Kickstarter for the third edition because I think this is the chance to really you know the, the, your friendly local gaming store here's their shot in the arm to, to, to mm-hmm. launch this a lot of alpha gamers they go on Kickstarter. They've bought all the stuff they really need, maybe more than they need. Third edition, everybody's going through their stores, which has been great. Yeah, and, and I think that I love supporting our local shops. Our, our local hobby stores here are Game Castle, Castle with a K, super well ran, great staff. They carry fantastic stuff. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. They run games. Uh, they have game tables. Um, you know, even here in Bay Area, where space is a premium, they actually do have dedicated game table spaces. They do flea markets so people can do bring-in buys and things. It's a it's a super good community. So yeah, power power to the uh, to the the local hobby shops and everybody should support them. Well, let's get into the second Kickstarter for Triumph of Death. What triggered this? Well, I'm greedy. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want these toys on my field too, right? I, I need to fill in my, I need to fill in my third edition army. Maybe you're in a competition with Kawe. I think he's on, I don't know how many Kickstarters, but it's been a lot. <laughs> Kickstarter like 30 or something. Yeah. I don't need any more halflings, but I'm going to get some anyways. I, yeah, I just ordered some more too. Oh man. Did you, did you buy his, uh, like I have his uh, rust monster and his owl bears. I actually think the original owl bears that he had, the ones before the ones were discontinued, mm-hmm. were some of the greatest sculpts ever. I, I like the old one. As a matter of fact, I was up. I've, I was up visiting Callaway, uh geez, about a year ago, maybe a little less. And uh, and while I'm in his studio, I'm like, oh, are these the old? These are the discontinued owl bears, aren't they? I'm like, yep. So I pocketed one. I'm like, give me this. Give me like, give me, yeah. So we we talk about, but yeah, the man's crazy with Kickstarters, but he he does them well. As a matter of fact, we'll talk a little bit more about when my Kickstarter is coming out. But one of the reasons that it's been delayed is because Callaway told me that my Kickstarter looked horrible, and he's fixing it for me. <laughs> That's a true friend right there. True friend. He's like he's like ah, oh, that looks like. Let me fix this. I'll make it sexy. But it's a barter system in trade. I just finished cutting and sending to him nine thousand hex bases. Is that for the uh, the German? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. He's like, I need some hex space. I'm like, sure. How many you need? He's like, uh, you know, some. I'm like, what does some mean, Cowboy? Like, five hundred thousand. He's like, how about nine thousand? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was two four by eight shoots sheets of MDF. That's awesome. I'm sending him fifty pound boxes of uh, of, of, of hex spaces. Like, yeah. So you know, that's what we do. But uh, so the reason back to Triumph of Death two is. Uh, as we actually talked about, it's interesting. I was re-listening to our, our original podcast together, and a lot of the things that we talked about then was uh, the idea that, you know, in a Kickstarter with a limited amount of time, you can only get so many things done. And there's always going to be gaps, and there's always wantingness of things. And a lot of the wantingness was based on on the feedback from the backers. Hey, we want some cavalry. Yeah, I want cavalry. Uh, you know, what about missile troops? What about, you know, other troops that we want to do? And that's basically what Triumph of Death 2 is about. It's uh, it's really about trying to fill in all of those gaps that we didn't get to do in the in the first Kickstarter and adding more personality figures to it. Um, so this Kickstarter, for the core units... We'll have a dedicated pike block unit because uh, before we, did, we had the first one we went to halberdiers, but you could you could convert them. But this time I've got uh, pike, and they'll have five different poses. So I've got the guys at like sixty degrees and forty five degrees, and standing up in the back to get some really nice looking pike. Is the pike separate? Pikes are not included. However, I am I am going to do a tutorial on how you can take. Uh, uh, plastic uh, styrene stock, and actually, you know, and and squish them with the pliers and cut them to make your uh, to make bendy pikes out of plastic. Or or uh, Warlord sells a uh, pre-made uh, pike, uh, like you buy fifty of them at a time. I think for like seventeen bucks. So I've been using those as well. They're gorgeous. They're really sharp though. But the good thing is you could actually do spears if you wanted. Exactly. You don't have to do pikes. You can do spears. Uh, you can do shields. Um, I'm actually uh, with my crossbow, which I have three three different poses. Uh, they come with pavises. So very Genoese style Italian, but you could take those pavises and put them with your with your spear units if you wanted to to make like a Genoese unit, or just use regular shields. Absolutely, I can see an undead Dogs of War army in your future. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, right? Uh, so um, I'm also in in the first Kickstarter. I did Death, one of the four horsemen, but now I have Pestilence and War and Famine, and so I'm actually repackaging uh, Death up with them. And so I'll actually have all four horsemen of the apocalypse as part of this deal, which of course is perfect for your, uh, your mighty heroes, uh, you know, with their auras going around in your undead army. Um, and then, and then what good, you know, so that, that gives our core unit. Now we need cavalry. So I'm going to actually have two cavalry units. We've got horse archers, uh, skeletal horse archers done in kind of a, um, an Eastern horse archer style. Yes, yeah, so they're up high on the horse uh, on the horses with like their bows, like a Turkish archer. Um, and we've got two poses there with two horse variants. And uh, the second cavalry unit is uh, uh, cavalry skeletal cavalry with war darts. If you remember my first Kickstarter, I had the uh, those big like war dart javelins that look like giant arrows. And if you look at the Peter Bruegel painting in the lower left hand corner of the painting, you can see the cavalry riding in with those war darts. So I've got. Uh, I've got those guys, and there's two different poses as well, like the arm up in the air, kind of thrusting down or throwing, and then kind of a more uh, arm at side, like if you're carrying a lance at rest, straight up and down kind of thing. And those guys are all open-handed. So if you don't want to use the war darts, which come with it, you can make them spear or or sword and shield or you know whatever you want, right? I try to try to make these figures, uh, especially with the open hands, with a lot of variants so that you can create more just more coolness in your army from what you need it sounds amazing but wait there's more uh and what what 
army is you know what Renaissance army is not complete without cannon. Uh, so so I'm actually making an undead cannon and crew, uh, which I think is going to be really fun. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. You know, but why stop there? Why not, uh, you know, maybe an organ gun or maybe, you know. Or- organ gun is one of the notes that I have on my stretch goals uh, as a cool thing. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, because, I mean, you look at like the old, uh, some, I was talking to somebody, I think, on Facebook or one of the forums. And they're like, well, you know, can undead cannon, mostly you only get like skull chuckas, right? Well, it, like or, or stone throwers. I'm like, well, technically, this is a stone thrower. It's just, you know, the stone just made out of ferrous iron, and it's just throwing it in a straight trajectory. So, yeah, again, back to that Kings of War, you know, representation kind of thing. It'd be totally fun. I mean, if you're playing an undead army and you have a war machine on a 50 millimeter base, there's only one in the list. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's obviously going to be the Balefire catapult. Even if it looks like a cannon, so yeah. it, it won't it will not confuse anybody. Yeah, it's just straight up shooting the ball. Yeah, uh, different ways. And then uh, the the fun part also with the Kickstarters, once you have the rank and file done, is all the command packs. So uh, you know, uh, a big part of last time, I had some great religious kind of characters going in based on a lot of the German woodcuts. This time, I have them as well. Uh, I've got one unit, uh, one unit pack that will be the religious types. And then I have two, uh, two, co- so I'll have three total command packs this time instead of two. And it's kind of a, the way the Kickstarter is set up is like you buy in it, like an army unit deal, you know, regiment or army or troop of doom deal. And then it just allows you to buy you know, the, in this, in this thing, your, your, your pledge is X amount of unit packs, unit choices, and X amount of command choices, that kind of thing. And then as you get bigger, it comes with some of the some of the horsemen personalities. Or if you big buy the big army deal, you get all four horsemen. I assume some of the old sculpts will be part of this as either an add-on or part of the bundles. Yes, the only old sculpt that I'm actually bringing back into the 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 the, the Primus Kickstarter fuel is Death because you can't get rid of death and he's one of the four horsemen, but, uh, but I will have, uh, as add-ons and things, the, the old units in case people didn't get a chance to get them before. <laughs> and what about those awesome, awesome bases? Oh yeah. The Kings of War bases are absolutely going to be part of it. I'm glad you like them. Do you like them? Oh yeah. I love them. Oh, cool. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, why don't you explain to people cause you, t- you had a little bit of a different take, which I thought was really cool where you've got the troop and you can put them together and they have the, I don't know what you call it. The, well, I have a deckled edge on them. The whole idea was, uh, uh, I wanted it to look good, uh, and so what I did was I cut the base, and in the base, it, with the laser cut, it has the yeah you know, the hundred by forty uh, kind of edge for your your troop piece. But then I have a little uh, three to five millimeter edge that's deckled, if you will. It kind of scallops in little points back and forth. And what you want to do with that is you 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 take your exacto knife and kind of bevel it down, so it gives a, a nice uh, flow down to the tabletop, makes it look more natural. But what's really cool about them is I'm holding one in my hand here. Let's see if I could show you. Uh, what's really cool is that they lock together like puzzle pieces. So you know, if you want to make you know a horde unit or, or a bigger unit, you can actually just click them together, and then they slide around and go together well. And uh, yeah, so it just makes it easy for troop movement and locks together. But also, when you bevel it down, it gives that, that rough edge, uh, blends into your scenery better, and just just aesthetically looks, I think, nice. At your core, you're an artist, right? This is where you're home, right? You want It doesn't really matter how the unit plays on the table. It's it's more important how it looks. Yeah, it's got to look sexy. What other things do we need to know about the Kickstarter? Uh, gosh, uh, let's see. We talked about that. We talked about uh, the pavises with the shields. I'm excited about that. We'll have some flags. Uh, I've already got a few really cool stretch goals already lined up. Uh, 
Um, a couple of them are even sculpted ahead of time. That's one of the advantages of of um, doing successful Kickstarter previous is it kind of gives you some money in your war chest to get ahead of time and to actually prototype things. That's, that's a super important point, thing to me. Even with my first Triumph of Death Kickstarter, I actually spent the money on a couple of molds and castings to make sure that the models were actually going to work. You know, the hands feel good. Are the castings working right? Uh, do they bun- Do they look good bunched up together because a lot of times you'll do a sculpt and then when you try to stack them into rank and file they're, they're like smacking into each other and it doesn't work right so so getting all those kinks worked out and that's one of the things i've been working on with the the, the triumph of death 2 stuff as well is getting uh, a lot of those kinks worked out uh because sometimes you know the sculpt doesn't necessarily fit when you put it together with all the others although drew is really cognizant about that and we work we work very well together on on those designs i guess uh launch time is something i could talk about the <laughs> that's important uh my goal was to actually have it out by the 10th and we've got everything all lined up in terms of the text and the rewards and everything and now Kawe's uh he's finishing up on the artwork for the uh uh, for the Kickstarter. So, um, and then uh, for those of you who have not done a Kickstarter, the way it works is once you get everything done and you, you build your, your your Kickstarter out, you then submit it to the Kickstarter committee and they review it and they can spend up to five days, depending on how busy they are uh, or, or, or who's looking at it, to actually give you the thumbs up and say, okay, you can go, right? Um, uh, or, or, and the last one in terms of like killer rabbits, they, within 24 hours, they gave me the thumbs up. So I don't know how long that's going to take. So my goal is to launch on the 10th, but it could be on the 15th, <laughs> but, uh, but stay tuned or look at my, uh, at my skull and crown on Facebook or on Twitter or my, uh, skull and crown blog. And, uh, and I will keep you updated and I'll keep you updated too, Rob. So you can do a chat link in the show notes for everybody listening. Yeah. You can. Uh, we'll point you to the right direction. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. What other games besides Kings of War have folks been using these models for? Uh, Mordheim. A uh, big, big group of Mordheim players are playing it. Um, old Hammer. A lot of the Old Hammer guys are playing with the Old Hammer rules. Um, uh, there's been... Uh, um, what was it called? Um, oh, um, Lion Rampant, which is like... yeah, They've been using it for Lion Rampant rules uh, is a big one. Um, and I'm trying to think of anybody else that I know. Oh, um, oh, uh, actually, yeah. Um, Simon Miller's, uh, to the strongest rules. Uh, Simon Miller's, a English, uh, game designer that built a really awesome system called to the strongest. And it's all done, uh, on big base elements, not unlike Kings of war. Uh, and it's all done. Uh, if you look at his tabletop, he's got like the beautiful grass mat out. And if you look closely, you can see it's actually gridded by little dots on the table. Sometimes they're like little bushes and stuff. So it's basically a grid based game where you don't have to do measurement. And, and he, and he has these gorgeous, like large, uh, Roman battles with you know, thousands of figures, thousands of figures. Uh, but, um, but people have been using the undead for that as well. I, I always like to see how people use models that we think we think we know what they're for mm-hmm. in different ways. And it's not always tabletop gaming. It could be you know role playing games. They used in D anD. I use them playing an old uh, an old Grognard set of rules called Knights and Magic, which was done by Heritage Games back in the eighties, which is kind of a a skirmish level battlefield game have you tried vanguard yet the uh the new skirmish game or it's not new at this point but i have not i was going to ask you if you've tried it i have uh, i played it quite a bit it, i mean i guess i would describe it as kind of a cross between mordenheim and frostgrave maybe but it's probably more crunchy 
er than either of those two. Oh yeah, Frostgrave's another one people use it for. Yeah, Frostgrave would be a, a, a perfect perfect use for them. It's a great time to be a, a hobby gamer right now. There's just so many options for. I mean, I, I firmly believe this is the golden age of gaming. Uh, there is a game for everybody out there, and there is model ranges out there for everybody for any kind of taste, any kind of price range. And they're growing, and it's and it's uh it's across the world, right? I just I just ordered some awesome Star Wars uh, Jawas from a really cool sculptor in Russia. Would that be for Legion or for a different game? It's going to be for Legion, but the friend I play against doesn't know that yet. <laughs> what are you going to run him as, or did you already come up with a set of rules for the to, to do the Jawas? I have not yet. I have not yet. Um, I was just going to run them as rebels. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, we play we play legions here, and it's it's fun because you can play a game like like Kings of War, where it's you know turn based, you know, and it's you go, I go to the extreme, and then you play a game like Rebels or um, Legion, where or even Bolt Action, for example, where you've got that unit by unit activation, and it's because I think they both have their own pluses and minuses, and I think it's fun to just not play the same all of the time. It, it took, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. You could have, you know, you don't want to have, you know, pizza every night or a turkey dinner every night, right? You gotta, you gotta, you know, switch it up. Uh, and just, it just helps change the gaming palette. Uh, one of the things that actually, it took me a while to kind of get into the, uh, the Star Wars Legions because of the cards. And it felt like that was kind of like a card game. But then I started looking at it as like a role-playing game. And so, like, if I have, you know, if I'm playing, I've got Leah on the battlefield, then I need to be, I need to change my tactics to be plucky, like Leah would be on the battlefield, right? You know, if I'm playing, you know, well, one of the rebel or one of the uh, the imperial leaders, then I'm going to be more staunch and, and more regimented. So I kind of look at it that way. Because I know for me personally, I, I did have a hard time. I have a hard time with all Fantasy Flight games just because it feels like you have so much cardboard on the table that for me, it kind of breaks the immersion. I'm like a guy that... I like just the just the table and the models, and I mean even Kings of War we we end up having to have some markers, but like I like it to be you know I, I want that immersion, and sometimes it's hard to do. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and and when your friend pulls out, you know, like that's why I couldn't I couldn't play uh, the the Star Wars Tie Fighter games and stuff or the the things because uh, X Wing mm-hmm. X Wing or or the Armada because my friend just had a binder of pages and pages and pages of cards. And I'm like, wait, this is like a collectible card game with toy miniatures on it. And I didn't even get to paint the miniatures. So I'm not even into it. Right. Yeah. With legions is a little bit different. Uh, also, cause I keep sneaking things like Ewoks onto his table when he's not looking. I think in legions defense, they've done an okay job of not going down the route of X wing where X wing, you had to buy stuff that you didn't need just to get the stupid card you needed. Right. With Legion, you know, like some of the cards that you would want, you'll get it in a, you know, whether it's, you know, Imperial or Rebels. And so I think they've kind of opened it up a little bit to look, people are going to buy models that are cool. Just get out of the way and let them do it. The, the new stuff coming out is amazing. The droids and the clone troopers. Oh, I, I mean, uh, they're ridiculously great. I, I want it. I want one of those General Grievous figures so bad. I'm a huge General Grievous fan as well. But then on the flip side, though, is I'm saying, oh, I already have a Rebel army. It's all painted. Uh, uh, and it doesn't get to the table all that much. Although, you know what I'll probably do? I'll probably take all those bots and I'll actually run them in bolt action. <laughs> Why don't you run them in Conflict 47? Have you tried that? Oh, I I, I, I know the rules, but I have not played them. Thomas, it's been amazing uh, chatting with you again. It's, we need to do it, like I said, we need to do it at least, at least once a quarter because we get too far behind and then it takes, you know, forever to get caught back up. Totally. And I need to come out to one of your guys' conventions. I've, I've been out to a Historicon or a Cold Wars in a very long time. And then you guys have one very close to where you are, right? It's an HMGS 
event. It's called NashCon. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure the attendance for Historicon or Cold Wars, but I mean, I think there was a little over 400 people at this one. So it's good size. Oh, that's cozy. Well, what's interesting is I think this event, they play a lot of games that maybe... Uh, because obviously we're in the South, um, or the Mid-South, as we like to say, <laughs> Civil War games are very popular. Sure. And so there's there's a small faction of folks that'll actually, that's all they'll play all weekend. They have a separate room, and they it's kind of a con- convention within a convention, and that's all they'll do is, is just play Civil War games. But uh, we I had a chance to play or try out Triumph, which is a historical game it's you know it's element based like most historical games um that was pretty fun and it, i think with most hmgs events they're fine with you know fantasy sci-fi whatever i mean at the end of the day just come and play games we're all playing with toy soldiers really the, the uniforms might be different but that's about it exactly uh, that, and that's cool i'm uh i have been an hmgs member for quite a few years uh and uh one thing uh this year i did a commission for uh, fort mchenry national park I actually cut a uh, design and cut a bunch of uh, of wooden toy soldiers for them for the War of eighteen twelve for the siege of of uh, Fort McHenry with all the ships. I did all the ship models and all the troops. And and through that, um, one of the park rangers I was working with ended up moving to Gettysburg. So I've actually been really. I've already got some drawings for some American Civil War woodens. War of eighteen twelve is kind of a. Uh, I have a soft spot for it because obviously I'm, I'm from Michigan originally oh, yeah. and we don't really have much American Revolution talk <laughs> in <laughs> Michigan, but certainly uh, we have a lot of infamous battles, <laughs> you know, g- getting uh, Fort Mackinac captured without getting a shot fired against oh, us. That's right. Yeah. yeah they just, just surrendered the fort. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, but yeah. you know, Hey, it happens. I'm a Raiders fan, so I, I feel for you, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of uh, War of 1812, even though, you know, historically, we don't get a lot of play. It doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't, gain, doesn't gain enough traction. No, but it does have some cool uniforms. It very well does. Where can we follow the adventures of you and Skull and Crown? And uh, You know, I use Facebook quite a bit, uh, so you can actually look for Skull and Crown on Facebook. Or you can look for my Skull and Crown uh, blog on skullandcrownblogspot.com. Um, and I sometimes am on Twitter and I'm never on Instagram. I should be, but those are the places to find me or, or actually, you know, the best place also to go is just go to Kickstarter and follow and follow me there. Well, Thomas, thanks for coming on chatting with us. Oh, thanks so much. That's going to do us tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging for listening and we'll see you next time on countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. I've seen your posts on Facebook. Uh, you are an Still old there, man. Or did I lose you? No, I'm just a rookie, and I just hit mute, and I just don't remember to <laughs> unmute myself sometimes. Uh, it'll probably happen four more times this evening. No worries. We'll, we'll can edit that out. Exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing, right? The, the beautiful part of not having to deal with video, you can just easily edit stuff out.